0: The intro to the book, The Power of Awe, starts with a quote from Albert Einstein, and it reads There are two ways to live. You can live as if nothing is a miracle. You can live as if everything is a miracle. The most beautiful thing we can experience is the mysterious. It is the source of all true art and all science. He to whom this emotion is a stranger who can no longer pause and wonder and stand wrapped in awe, is as good as dead. His eyes are closed. End quote. So my question to you today is simple. Are you living as if everything is a miracle? Do you routinely pause and wonder and stand wrapped in awe? I think it's safe to say that most of us could use a little help in the awe and wonder department. If this sounds like you, stick around. We have a fantastic episode that just might radically change your life for the better. Hello, and welcome to the Over 50 Health and Wellness Show. I'm your host, Kevin English. I'm the founder of The Silver Edge, and our mission is to help you build and maintain a lean, healthy body that you love for the rest of your life, so that you can show up in life as the healthiest, strongest, most vital version of yourself. We have a fantastic show for you today. Jake Eagle is here, and he is going to help us learn simple but powerful tools to develop our sense of awe. Now, before we get to that, I want to let you know that this episode is brought to you by The Silver Edge. The Silver Edge is my online nutrition, exercise, and lifestyle coaching business, catering to those of you over 50 who aren't ready to give up and buy into the common narrative of it's all downhill from here. We take a health-first approach to working with clients to help them build lean, strong, vital bodies that last. Look, there's no shortage of lose weight quick coaches in the world, but here's the deal. You can either lose weight quickly or permanently. If you're tired of losing and gaining the same weight over and over, if you're tired of constantly dieting, if you have a poor relationship with food, exercise, and your body, then I invite you to book a call and see if our services are a good fit for you. The easiest way to do this is head over to SilverEdgeFitness.com and click on the coaching tab or just shoot us an email at coach at SilverEdgeFitness.com. Okay, enough of that. Let's get on with today's show. guest today is Jake Eagle. Jake is a psychotherapist, a mindfulness instructor, and he's the co-author of the new book titled The Power of Awe, Overcome Burnout and Anxiety, Ease Chronic Pain, Find Clarity and Purpose in Less Than One Minute Per Day. Join us today as Jake helps us microdose mindfulness and harness the power of awe to make us healthier, happier humans. I started our interview by asking Jake how he became interested in the subject of awe.
1: Yes, I can talk about that. It's kind of an organic journey. It was not something I set out to do to study the emotion of awe. For about 30 years, I was a psychotherapist in Santa Fe, New Mexico, private practice, Before that, I had owned my own company, so I tended to attract clients who were business owners. But over the years, I worked with a variety of people. For the most part, they were pretty high-performing individuals, so that was kind of my area of focus. And in uh, 2017, my wife and I moved from Santa Fe to Hawaii, and my practice really diminished as a result of that move. And I started to Teach courses online before the pandemic. I was teaching courses, and as part of the courses, I was asking people to meditate for 10 minutes a day. And what I found is that uh, about half the people said they didn't have 10 minutes a day, they couldn't meditate. And so I developed this idea of asking people to do a micro meditation. We ended up calling it microdosing mindfulness. And so I would have people essentially microdose on mindfulness for 15, 20, 30 seconds, and what was so surprising was that those people got results that were equal to the people who were meditating 10 minutes a day, and in that that course that I was teaching, I had a colleague, his name is Dr. Michael Amster, he's a pain management specialist, and he and I were both amazed that people could benefit from these short meditations, so we decided to do a pilot project. And we both worked with our private clients, his pain clients. Mine were from my psychology practice. And again, we saw really great results. And Michael took those to someone at UC Berkeley who was very well known in the field of research on the subject of awe and mindfulness. And he too was amazed at the results and suggested we do a large scale study. And just about that time, the pandemic started. And because my colleague Michael was a doctor, he knew that the healthcare professionals were under a great deal of pressure. So we did the study with frontline healthcare workers and patients, two different cohorts. And we did a variety of psychological evaluations before the study and after the study. And the results were just off the charts decrease in depression, decrease in anxiety. Decrease in loneliness, decrease in symptoms of pain and discomfort, decrease in perceived loneliness. And all of this, this is the remarkable part, all of this is the result of doing a practice three times a day that takes less than half a minute. And so we started to uh, share the results and we had publishing companies approach us that wanted us to write a book. And so I spent the last two years writing, getting a book out there in the world. And that's how I got to this point. It's not what I expected to do. It was kind of, uh, it was just an organic process, one step after another.
0: Okay. No, I, I love this story. So let's pick this apart a little bit. So you were in your practice, then it sounds like, and at this point you're in Hawaii and this is an online kind of a thing. You're asking people then to meditate because you know there's there's benefits in meditation and people are pushing back saying, hey, I can't, I can't even do this for five or ten minutes, and you're thinking, "Hmm, okay. Well, what if you just did it for fifteen or thirty seconds?" So it sounds like you kind of you found that almost by accident. But what? Why were you recommending meditation in the first place? Did you have some sort of a background in mindfulness, or did you have your own meditation practice that was impactful for you?
1: Yes, uh, I did have a background teaching mindfulness. My wife and I have been putting on retreats for couples and individuals for twenty plus years, and as part of those, we included a mindfulness portion. So I've been doing mindfulness for a long time, although I'm not a good meditator. I don't like meditating. I have a very busy, active mind. And when I meditate, I generally end up self-critical because I can't get my mind to quiet down. Nevertheless, I kind of push myself to do it. And I was trying to meditate 10 minutes a day. And the benefits are pretty clear if you look at the science and the evidence. So when people said that they couldn't do it, I felt like I needed to come up with something for them uh, to try. And it really, it really was just out of the blue, the suggestion that you find something that you can place your attention on for a very short period of time that quiets your mind down. That's, those were the instructions I gave people. And I said, it probably helps if you pick something that is positive, something yeah. that you like, something you appreciate, right? And And people... We're able to do that. I think we overcame essentially the greatest obstacle, which is the I don't have time. I'm tracking with you there. Uh, also,
0: a little bit of ADD and kind of I'm always go, 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 go. And I do know the benefits of slowing down and having a meditation practice or a, a gratitude practice. And I do have a, such practice in my life. But like you, I find it extremely difficult to really make my mind blank for five, 10 minutes, right? That's a very, I mean, Sounds on the surface, that's pretty easy. Just don't think of anything, right? You're in this meditative state, but it's incredibly difficult. And I think that you're overcoming the A, I, the objection. I don't have time. And the B, that this is pretty darn difficult actually to sit in this quiet place. And by quiet, I'm obviously external would be helpful if your environment is quiet, but that it's that internal quiet that can be really, really tricky to achieve. But when we say, Hey, do that for 15 to 30 seconds. All of a sudden, that's within reach, right? I I feel like even right now, sure, I I can be mindful for 15, 30 seconds. Now, in the introduction of your book, you asked yourself a question at one point, and I thought this was really interesting. You said, am I thrilled to be alive, right? Kind of talked a little bit about this questioning of yourself and and this purpose. How did that play into where you are now and with this book and this work that you've done?
1: Yeah, thanks for asking. I kind of gave you an abbreviated version. I didn't tell you the embarrassing part of my story. So, I'm a therapist for 27 years, have a viable practice, love my work. We moved to Hawaii. My practice essentially disappears and I'm struggling. Um, And I think this may be the most relevant part of this conversation if I understand your audience correctly. So, at the time, I'm in my early 60s. I've led a pretty good and successful life, but all of a sudden I stopped getting the external validation. There's no one telling me they appreciate me. There's no one responding to my work in a very positive way. Ironically, I'm living in Hawaii. I've got a wonderful marriage and I'm healthy. I call those the three H's because my wife's name is Hannah. So I'm in Hawaii with Hannah and I'm healthy. I kind of got everything, but I'm unhappy. I'm a little bit depressed. And so I started this process of waking up in the morning and saying, I know I should be thrilled to be alive, but am I? And the answer embarrassingly was, no, I'm not. In my mind, I'm complaining. In my mind, I'm longing for something I no longer have that I used to have. And every day I would ask the question, am I thrilled to be alive? The more I asked it, the more I got in touch with the wonderful things in my life. And I did start feeling better. And that's what led to me teaching the online course, which was called Thrilled to be Alive. And I would get usually groups of about 30 people, pair them up, and for three weeks, they would focus on whether they were thrilled to be alive. And they had a buddy, and they would share their stories with their buddy, but they could only share about things that were positive. That was the focus. And it was a really fun course, and people really enjoyed it and did very well and got a lot out of it. And that's the course that led to this discovery of microdosing mindfulness. Microdosing mindfulness and the journey there. I I, I love that. And thank
0: you for sharing that and, and being vulnerable with us. And I think that a lot of people can really relate to that, right? This is a stage in our lives. Most of our listeners here are going to be 50, 60, some in the 70s, right? And a lot of us are going through some major life shifts, right? Kids are leaving home and um, we're looking at retirement, and some of us are reimagining ourselves and our careers, and what the second half of our life is going to look like. And these are some pretty big shifts in in our life. And just asking that simple question: Am I thrilled to be alive? And I love your story. You know, I had my three H's. I was I had my health. I was living in Hawaii, and uh, your your wife's name is was it Helen? Is that right? She began with an H. H- Hannah. Hannah. Right. I, I've got Hannah. So, you have these things and there's no reason why you shouldn't, but, you know, you obviously you described very eloquently there kind of your, your internal dialogue. They're not getting that external validation. All of a sudden you're in this new place and um, I, I love how all that led to where you are. All right. Well, I think before we go any further, you had mentioned a couple of times about, hey, I know the value of meditation and I try and
1: do it myself. I, I, I get my people to practice it. What are some of the benefits? The primary benefit is that when we meditate, we reset our nervous system. If you think of your nervous system kind of like a spring, as we go through the day, we create more and more tension. The spring gets wound tighter and tighter and tighter. And the problem in our culture is that we don't unwind the spring. So the tension becomes chronic. The chronic tension leads to both psychological and physical demands, challenges, problems. And when we meditate, even you know the traditional meditation practices, what we're doing is we're essentially resetting our nervous system. And it has been thought that it takes about 20 minutes a day for a period of eight weeks for this to become a habit that actually affects the neural networks in our brain. Now, what we've discovered in our research is that you can do this much more quickly than that, that if you enter a certain physiological state, and we can talk about that in a minute, but if you enter a certain state, very quickly your system, your nervous system resets, comes back to a place of balance and homeostasis, and it can happen literally in 15 seconds. And one of the steps in our process is also designed to quiet the mind down and you can be mindful with an active mind. It's not always mindfulness means your mind is blank. For example, you could do, uh, I used to be a skier, and you could be skiing and be going down a very challenging slope, and you're remarkably present, you're mindful, you're in the moment. It doesn't mean that your mind is completely quiet, but what we've done is we've created a a particular aspect of our method that also quiets the mind for a short period of time, just for, again, just about 15, 20 seconds.
0: Okay. But yeah, I love that. And I love the, the imagery there of the unwinding that spring. Certainly, there's we have lots and lots of chronic stress and just this day and age that we live in. There's plenty of things to be stressful about, a lot of anxiety, a lot of fear, uh, things of this nature. So when we talk about awe, let's move then into, into awe, and, and awe stands for attention, wait, exhale, and expand, right? So let's let's start picking this apart a little bit. You start in the beginning of this book with the science of awe. So before we jump right into the science, describe what you mean by awe, and then let's talk a little bit about the science of awe.
1: Okay. Can I can I go back and just address something you said? Because you referenced there's a lot of fear and anxiety. And I, I just want sort to of point out that they're very, very different. My way of describing this is that fear is something that arises in the most primitive part of our brain when we are truly under threat, right? And it's a response that is essentially uncontrollable. If a, if a car swerves and is going to hit us, our primitive brain takes over. Anxiety is different anxiety arises in the prefrontal cortex, what I call the modern part of the brain, the primitive part of the brain. And it arises not because we are threatened physically, but more often than not, we're threatened psychologically. For example, someone calls us stupid or someone rejects us or someone challenges us in a way and we don't know how to respond. So we Become anxious, and I think it's a very important distinction for people to make. I think we we often refer to the two as if they're the same thing, but in my in my work with people, I really encourage people to identify: Are you anxious because of something that's going on in your mind, or are you in fear because you're literally under threat? Which is very rare in
0: our yeah, culture, right? Yeah, and that's a that's a great distinction. You're right. Fortunately, most of us don't have need for that fear, right? Uh, we're, most of us live pretty safe lives. We've, we've structured this society and culture in such a way. Now, when we talk about anxiety, is that also, can I be anxious because I'm projecting fears yeah. or I'm projecting things, right? I mean, I'm imagining absolutely these worst case scenarios. We're going to talk a little bit about catastrophizing and things like that maybe down the line, but certainly adds to anxiety, right? It's just this uncertainty, this this existential angst, all these things can fill up that anxiety bucket. Is that fair?
1: Yeah. And you're you're identifying two different forms of anxiety, one being the existential, which is when I have anxiety about things that are simply a result of being alive. So I worry about my mortality. I worry about whether my life has meaning or not. I worry about being alone. In, in some way, I feel we all, I think, feel alone at times. Those aren't things that necessarily can be changed because that's just part of the human experience versus anxiety that comes as a result of events in my life. Let's just say that I want to go to college, but I get, get rejected from the college I want to go to. So I get very anxious. What am I going to do? What does this mean? How does this affect my future? Well, that's actionable anxiety. I can actually do something about that. I can reapply to the college. I can go to another college. I can make different plans. But existential anxiety is really a challenge. And there are not a lot of good answers. It turns out that our awe method, which we're going to talk about in a few minutes, actually helps alleviate both kinds of anxiety. And that's very unique. And so, um, we can go into that whenever you're ready. Well, I think
0: that's a perfect segue then. Yeah, let's hit us. Talk to us a little bit about what you mean when you say ah, and then let's break down this, that acronym, right? And let's talk a little bit about each of these three components.
1: Okay, so we took the word on, we turned it into an acronym, A-W-E. That became the methodology. So the A stands for attention. We're going to place our attention on something that we value, appreciate, or find to be amazing. And that could be something external, the piece of art in your home. It could be uh, going out and taking a walk in nature and, and, and focusing on the trees or the flowers or whatever it is that captivates your mind. That's one aspect of where our attention could go. But our attention can also go internally. So you could think of the person who's the most important person in the world to you. You could imagine that person's face. You could imagine holding that person's hand, or you could imagine a memory that you have with that individual. That too becomes a place that we can put our attention. And so, what we say is that there is a source of awe in and around you all the time, no matter what's going on. There's always something that you can find where you put your attention and it's a positive experience. So, that's the first step. The second step. Is the W, and that's where we ask people to wait, just to pause ever so slightly. The waiting is probably five seconds. And during the wait, what happens is areas of the brain that are known as the default mode network quiet down when we have a singular focus of our attention. If we really focus on something very, very intensely, the default mode network, which is where we have all that busy internal chatter, It goes quiet. And so that's what happens when we wait. And then the E at the end stands for exhale and expand. And when we exhale, and the exhalation is a little bit longer than what might be normal, at the very end of the exhalation, we activate something called the vagus nerve. And when we activate the vagus nerve, it induces a state of relaxation, or what's known as a parasympathetic state. And when we activate that, whatever sensations we have in our body will be amplified. Now, the sensations we were having in our body are going to have been positive because we are focused on something we value, appreciate, or find to be amazing. So we give our attention to something positive, inhale, take that in, wait five seconds, maybe a little less even, quiet the mind exhalation a little longer than normal whatever those sensations are will be amplified as we get better at this we can start to actually experience a energetic release in our spine where we feel the energy traveling up our spine into our head and, and even outside of our head it's a really dramatic shift when we develop this what i'm calling the awe muscle In the beginning, for some people, it's pretty subtle. But the more we develop the muscle, the more this powerful response can happen.
0: Yeah, I love that image of developing the uh, muscle. You had mentioned there this, you're, you're activating the vagus nerve. We're going to bring our attention to something that we love or adore or find pleasure in. We're going to wait and be present with it. And then we're going to exhale and expand. And you kind of mentioned this moving, what you're saying is moving from this sympathetic to this parasympathetic state from this kind of uh, fight or flight into this rest and digest calming state. And you very briefly mentioned in that exhale that we're exhaling a little longer than our inhale. Is there a breathing technique that's important here? Because you very often hear people say, you know, in order to kind of calm the mind a little bit, we say, that deep inhalation, hold it maybe for a second or two and then that long, slow exhalation being kind of a trigger for the, that parasympathetic state, is that an important part? Does uh, breathing play into
1: this? Um, it is a part of it, but we don't place a lot of emphasis on it because we don't want people thinking too much. So we say that when you start this, it's like you have a set of training wheels and just think about these three steps. But after you've done it six or 10 times, you probably don't even need to think about the steps. It's really very automatic when I look at something I appreciate is the inhalation, slight pause, and then the exhalation a little longer than normal. And we try to keep it that simple because we don't want people to work hard at this. There's a, there's an irony, which is that the harder we try, the more difficult this becomes.
0: Yeah. I think that's true of, of all meditative states, right? The harder you try, the it's it's almost like you're talking about this flow state where it's it's not trying and being and doing kind of joined together, right? And I, it when I read your your work and and hear what you're saying here, it's that's what it sounds like to me is we're just coming into this state of of being, and you're saying that this we can really simplify this, bring this into a few seconds now. You had mentioned, this is something I'm going to do throughout the day. Is this something that you hear folks starting out? Or they, do they do it twice a day? Do they do it three times a day? Do they
1: do it every hour? What, how do you suggest people get started? When we did our studies at UC Berkeley, we asked people to do it three times a day. We didn't specify when. Since then, I have said to people, I think it's best to do it morning, noon, and before bed. Before bed is particularly nice because it relieves the tension that's built up over the course of the day. And first thing in the morning is nice because it sets a nice tone for the day. So we ask people to do it three times a day, but we also notice something called a dose response. And what that means is the more you do it, the better the result. So the people who did it more frequently had a more profound result. Um, Somebody asked me recently how often I do it now, and I Don't really keep track, but I would guess I'm doing it a couple times an hour. A couple times an hour now. Yeah. Yeah. It's so automatic. I just, I'm into you. I look out the window. I see this amazing cloud in the sky. And I just naturally have a moment of awe. I just take that in. I give it my full weight, exhale, and I feel this shift. Absolutely love it. All right. In the beginning of your book, you
0: talk about some pretty hard science, right? You're talking about cytokines You're talk about inflammation. You're talking about using awe as a medical intervention. Can you talk to us just a little bit about that part? Of? I mean, cause what we're ta- what you're talking about now, I think everybody can relate to, Oh, okay. So I can, I can get, I can relax a little. I can come calm myself. I can treat my, ang- if I'm anxious, this would be a great thing for me to practice and bring into my life. But you guys talk about this in a wide range of use cases, including, say, medical intervention and actually helping with anxiety and burnout and depression and uh, pain. In fact, you talk about pain management. Talk to us a little bit about that.
1: So the common denominator in almost every illness, both psychological, most people understand this in terms of physical illness, the common denominator is inflammation. That's, that's what's at the root of most disease. And Michael, my co-author, and I are in a group with about 45 doctors, and academics, who are doing research to try to understand the root cause of disease, how we treat it in our medical system, and what we need to do to improve. And they've reached the conclusion that the number, thing, number one thing we can do is help people feel safe because when people feel safe, the inflammation levels decrease. And this is where you mentioned the cytokine. We can get these cytokine storms happening in our body that basically produce inflammation, which then leads to disease, which then leads to more anxiety, and we get into this negative cycle. Positive emotions tend to minimize that cycle. But what's really fascinating is a study that was done. I believe it's 2015, and I can let you know if you want. It's a study that was done demonstrating that of all the positive emotions, the emotion of awe is the one that reduced interleukin-6, which is the cause of inflammation. And so we, we've identified that there, and, and we didn't identify it. This was another study. I think it was done by Stellar. Um, this study documents that if we access the emotion of awe, we reduce levels of inflammation and that awe is a singular emotion that can do this more effectively than any other that's been identified. And so this gives us real motivation to access this state of awe as a way to help our bodies heal and to help ourselves feel safe. When we go into the emotion of awe, all of the internal dialogue goes away. It's, we're no longer catastrophizing. We're no longer thinking about what can go wrong. We're no longer feeling guilty about what we did poorly yesterday. That's when we feel this deep sense of safety, and you referred to it earlier, you said, so we're shifting from a sympathetic to a parasympathetic state. And that's true, but there's something really unique going on with arm, which is it's a parasympathetic state, meaning deeply relaxed with a little bit of sympathetic activation. And the person who developed polyvagal theory is a guy named Dr. Stephen Porges, brilliant guy, does great work. He's in this group that we're in. And he's identified that the most unique thing about the emotion of awe is where it sits in the physiology. In other words, yes, we're deeply relaxed, but slightly energized. And he said it's very similar to when people are playful. So if you think about when you're playful, and this too is interesting for your audience, because we get to be in our 50s, 60s, 70s, and sometimes I think we forget how to play
0: hundred percent with you. Yeah. yeah right. Right. Yeah. I, in fact, I think what you're describing almost is the state of, of joy, right. Which is different for me, at least there's a distinction between saying being happy. These external things can make me happy temporarily, but there's this, there's this other state that's, that's kind of overlays that. And I, I to me, my vocabulary, I, I call that joy and it's different. It's kind of what you're explaining. It's, it's this feeling that's, uh, it's hard to describe. Obviously I'm, I'm dripping over words here. But as you're saying that, that's what comes into my mind. I'm thinking when you, you th- say pl- that parasympathetic, that, that relaxed state, but with a little bit of sympathetic, you know, that that little bit of, en- I can be energetic and joyful, right? Or I can be deeply relaxed. And I, I love the way that you're talking about using this uh, as a medical intervention. Is Is this something that's being accepted in standard Western medical practices? Is this something that's catching on? Is it still pretty fringe? Where does this, where does this? come in in terms of treatment modalities
1: it is fringe and i'll tell you the main reason why is because doctors don't experience it themselves they're in a go-go busy busy mm-hmm. get things done productive state all the th- <laughs> yes they are yeah and they're not giving themselves yeah. this experience and they don't give this experience to their patients And Michael, my colleague, who's a pain specialist, used to work in a large hospital system where he had 10 minutes to see each client, and he'd see, I don't know, 30-plus people a day. He's now moved to a community health center where he is able to spend as much time as he needs to address the concerns of his patients. And he said the results are just significantly different. And it's because he's able to take the time to be with people, to connect with people, to help them feel safe. To help them feel listened to. I mean, that's an experience we all want to have, and very few of us have it when we go to sleep. Yeah, and as you're saying that, what comes to my mind is
0: the alternative treatments, the standard medical, you know, if somebody comes in and they're complaining of depression or, or chronic pain and Unfortunately, it seems like in Western medicine, conventional medicine, our go-to is going to be meds, it's going to be pills. Here, take this, right? And I can get you in and out of my office and I can treat that symptom, right? That pain's going to go away if, if, as long as you take this medicine. That depression, hopefully, well, with depression, we don't quite have the success track record that we do with treating pain, but it's probably a med, right? As opposed to backing up and doing the kind of work you're talking about. So I, yeah, I obviously i would love to see more and more of this type of work happening and being accepted in in medicine so i'm i'm curious what what would it take what is it going to take is it is it going to take doctors actually experiencing this is it going to take more breakthrough research what what actually turns the tide where these types of modalities become a little more accepted in the future
1: so right. you were talking about depression and this is really fascinating we determined, based on the research we did and the uh, analysis pre-study, post-study, and then following people for six months, we saw a 34% reduction in depression. Now, what's so interesting about that is that that's comparable to what you see when you medicate people or when they go to therapy. People listening may go, "34 percent, that doesn't sound that great." Well, that is very close to the typical response that people get when they go on meds or when they go to psychotherapy. However, we were getting the same result or an equivalent result, asking people to do something that took about a minute a day and was free with no side effects. and had no side effects. No side-
0: right, Yeah, 100 percent. No nasty side effects. That's
1: extraordinary. Now, yeah. you know, what I would say, because I'm a psychotherapist, I would say you combine all with a little bit of psychotherapy and you could really see a significant advantage and potentially without medication. So I, I just think it's it's yeah. uh, remarkable. As As to your next question about what will it take to see a change, mm. I think there's probably two things. One is more research. We need to demonstrate the efficacy of this kind of methodology. And Michael and I are just getting ready to do a study at UC Berkeley. It'll start next month, where we're working with people that are suffering from long COVID. And these people, I don't know if you know them, but it is really challenging, really, really tough. And the Western medical community has no good answers right now. And it's such a difficult disease and people are really in a state of despair and very discouraged so we're hopeful that we are not we're hopeful that we can bring about a psychological shift that will affect their physiology and so this is our next study that we're going to do and and i think it's going to take more studies over time and then the other piece is if we could get the attention of some well-known people who advocate for this approach to healthcare and sure, you know, sure. I don't know when that will happen. <laughs> I don't either.
0: But it seems to me, though, that one of the things you might be up against, you're mentioning this research, and we, you know, additional research would help to turn the tide here a little bit. But as soon as you say research, my mind goes to funding, and who's funding something like an awe study versus we know who's funding the next depression or anxiety med or the next fill in the blank med, right? There's billions of dollars being poured in daily to that research, and so that's what we get the most of, right? So it's, it's almost like you're going to be drowned out by this other research just because, again, I don't know who's how how research funding works for things like this that maybe aren't as commercially viable, right? You're, you're not going to make billions of dollars if you have a breakthrough study and say, hey, we're now de- treating depression at a better rate than the nation or,
1: or therapy with awe, well, <laughs> that could be a tough sell, right? Um, it's not my area of just, expertise, research, but what I have learned is that the universities are key. So we're working with UC Davis on our next round, and what they've told us is if we get good results on this preliminary project we do, they would then look to NIH for funding to do what's called a mechanistic study, and that means you don't look just to see what the result is, but you. Study what is making this result possible. What's happening? So you use brain imaging. You take blood samples, saliva samples, and of course, all of this costs a lot of money. But they tell us sure. that the funding for that would probably come from NIH. Okay, so you so started university,
0: get positive results there. NIH jumps in. They they have a budget, right? So that oh, there is a path. It's not it's not <laughs> seemingly insurmountable. You're not going to have to do a uh, uh what, what do you call that? Where you're asking for your audience's donations. Right. Go fund me. You're not going to have to do a Go fund me, right? <laughs> um, to get this off the ground. All right. Well, Jake, I want to shift gears a little bit as I think personally about awe and consciousness. And we haven't even really touched much on consciousness. I do want to go there. And I think about meditation. There's these things have joy that I was talking about. Um, these things have a very spiritual sound to me. Do you or don't you feel there is a spiritual side to this practice, to awe? And if you do or don't, what what is the relationship between awe and just this spiritual reality, if you will, or this divine reality?
1: Well, to talk about that, I want to go to the idea that there are different levels of consciousness And we've created a model where we basically have identified three levels. We refer to the first one as safety consciousness, which is where we live the vast majority of the time. It's about being productive, getting things done, making ourselves feel safe, taking care of our loved ones. It's where we live, like I say, most of the time. And then there's another level we can go to called heart consciousness, which is basically living in a state of gratitude. And you mentioned it earlier that you have a gratitude practice, and many people do now. Um, The third level, we refer to as spacious consciousness. And what's so unique about that is it's a very profound state that most people find difficult to access. People have been talking about it for a couple thousand years. There's all sorts of spiritual traditions and contemplative practices that help us enter into a state of spaciousness. And when I say spaciousness, what I mean is we enter a state that feels timeless. There are no words. There's no way to fully describe it. It's an experience that we have. And many people see the value of it, but they don't know how to get there. What we have done is we've created, we say it in the beginning of the book, we're almost embarrassed by this idea, but we've created a shortcut a very quick way to go directly into spacious consciousness, and that's through accessing the emotion of awe. Because when you go into awe, and by the way, this is different than joy or love or gratitude or happiness. When you go into awe, you experience timelessness. You experience no words. There is no way to fully convey my experience of awe to you. And sometimes I think it's a mistake to try. When I try, what I'm doing is I'm taking this, what I think I would be comfortable calling a spiritual experience, and I'm trying to reduce it. And so we often say to people, have your experience of awe. Don't necessarily try to convert it into words.
0: Yeah, I I often feel like these states of being are better described by poets and artists than they are by scientists, right? We just don't have human language isn't good at explaining these, these almost divine, otherworldly, out of body sort of experiences that you're, that you're kind of describing. And to me, that's those that and spirituality, that state and spirituality are very, very linked for me personally. I I suppose probably a lot of folks
1: as well. Yeah. I love the way you just link. Uh, poetry and art to spirituality, I would connect it to, oh, I think that's right on. That's our best language,
0: right? <laughs> For describing these, these states or these states of being, I think. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. So another question, uh, and let me know if if you want to go here or not. Where do you see the role of psychedelics in this kind of work? Now you're talking about awe in this very simple, here's here's mechanistically you're gonna do this, then you're gonna do this, and you're gonna do this. Boom. You're gonna you're gonna have this microdose of awe, so to speak. Do you have any strong feelings one way or the other of because certainly psychedelics can help bring us into this state of awe, I suppose. That would be another another way. It's not something that you would be able to, to do periodically throughout the day, right? These these would be different kinds of experiences. But what are your what are your feelings on psychedelics and
1: awe? I'm a real proponent of it. Before we discovered our methodology, I had read Michael Poland's book. I think the name is Change Your Mind. And in that book, mm-hmm. I went back actually after we figured some of this out. I went back and he uses the word uh, 40 times in that book. And the book, yeah, yeah, and all about describing people's experiences after they use psychedelics and the changes that they experience are profound. I mean, people who are suffering from terrible anxiety have maybe one or two or three psychedelic experiences and the anxiety is gone particularly interesting, the death anxiety is gone. And I think the death anxiety is gone because they've gone to this experience of awe. You and I talked about it's timeless. It's wordless. You feel connected to something far greater than yourself or your life. And there's this deep sense of comfort. I have connected with something that I can't explain, but boy, I feel better. I feel comforted. I feel relaxed. I know something in my cells that I didn't know before I had that experience, right. right? I
0: suspected you might go that direction, but I I really wasn't sure. And some of the some of the research that's being done with some of these psychedelic compounds is really fascinating from a treatment perspective, right? Not so much for, you know, connecting with the divine and uh but you're talking about you know folks with severe p t s d and addiction, even and of course anxiety and depression are being treated not over the course of years of this but two three sessions with ketamine or some other some other substance uh typically uh so there a lot of <clears throat> a lot of really cool research happening there, and I love the idea that we can touch this divine space or uh just experience this awe throughout the day. And I hadn't really thought of microdosing oh, what's I mean, that just never occurred to me. And like I said, I have, I have a meditation practice, I have a prayer practice, a gratitude practice, and these are very, very important to me. And it's a way for me to just touch that area a little bit. But after reading your book and meeting you here, I am absolutely going to put some of these, these practices of awe into place. Now, somewhere towards the end of the book, I think you have a uh, it's, kind of, it's like a quick start guide. You have the 21 day practice, right? You have what is it? You have the week one, week two, week three. That's right. Can you talk a little bit about that? So listeners that are thinking about this might want to pick up the book. Certainly would would definitely recommend that. But how somebody gets started with practically putting in this into place with, this, say, that 21 day jump start that you have.
1: Yeah, it's a really nice, uh, simple outline that encourages people to take 21 days. There is a theory. I don't know if I entirely buy into it. The theory is that it takes 21 days to create a new habit. And so we designed our program. Our research was 21 days. And in the book, we have these 21 days. And then um, my wife wrote the last chapter of the book that includes about 30 actual practices where you're guided through. In experience, to induce a state of awe. And awe comes up in three different categories that we've identified. There's sensorial awe, where my senses come alive. And then there's conceptual awe, where my mind lights up. It comes alive in a way that I can't even explain, which is, again, that state of awe. And then there's interconnected awe, where I'm having a connection with another sentient being in such a deep, tender, or profound way that I access a state of awe again. And uh, in the book, we offer examples of how to do each of these. And we basically say, start with sensorial, because that's the easiest for most people. But we also say, do whatever works for you. And this is a a self-guided program. If there's some particular form of awe that is easiest for you, use that one. And over the course of 21 days, you basically built this awe muscle. We talk a lot about
0: building muscle on this show. We talk a lot about healthy aging and being healthy in general. And certainly having a practice to manage your stress, to manage your well-being, and to, frankly, to plug you into awe, to plug you into the divine, and to help you get closer to your purpose and your passion, absolutely vital to your whole healthy uh, self, right? I, I think that's safe to say. So, folks, the book is called The Power of Awe, Overcome Burnout and Anxiety, Ease Chronic Pain, Find Clarity and Purpose in Less Than One Minute a Day. Great read. Definitely suggest you guys pick this up. So,
1: Jay, before we wrap up here, what's what's on the horizon for you? Well, I'll say two things. Um, what's next for me after we do the research at UC Davis is to go back and finish a course that I was working on it's a course that people will be able to do at their own, in their own home over a period of six months where every month you get one chapter and then you get instructions basically of, of how to proceed over the course of a month. And the reason I'm bringing this up is because I'm concerned that we're, we as a culture are doing too many things too quickly, too superficially. And so really trying to encourage people to slow down and go deeper into whatever it is that they're doing that they derive benefit from. Now, it's interesting because on the one hand, I'm encouraging people to go deeper, and yet Michael and I developed this practice that looks superficial on the surface, but it activates something deep within us. And if we do it enough times, it brings about a transformation that's very significant. So that's one thing I wanted to say. Um, the, the second thing I want to say is I've been having a moment of awe watching you doing the podcast because you seem so into this. It's really... Yeah, no, I
0: I, I love this topic. Yeah, it's a little off. To- I mean, we've had similar, what we call a little more esoteric conversations on this show, but most of it's like, hey, you should eat healthy and you should be hydrated and you should lift weights and you should do, you know, you should get eight hours of sleep. And I don't, Get an opportunity very often to have these kinds of conversations, so this really lights me up. I'm not that. Look, not that all things health related don't light me up. It is my passion. It's my purpose. Um, I love doing it. true. It sure uh, but yeah, this this has been a really fun, really fun conversation. So,
1: and I, well, I Jay, I, where I bring go ahead, I bring that up because I just want your listeners to understand how natural this is. In other words, you and I are having this cool connection, this stimulating conversation. And for me, because I allow it, it evokes all, just in the natural mm. course of a conversation with someone. It can be that available to us. Yeah.
0: I, man, you said something very powerful there, I think, that you allow it. I think that's you had alluded to slowing down, so I think just the just this go 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 part of our culture is sort of counter to us experiencing awe and but awe is all around us right you just have to i think really be open to it and you've got a nice little formula for kind of hacking it if you will right so we all we're all looking for hacks and shortcuts this is a great way of accessing that so yeah i, I absolutely love it great so jake how could people get in touch with you is there do you, You guys have a website, you have social media. What's the best way for people to learn more about you and your work?
1: I think the best thing is our website, which is thepowerofaw.com. And uh, if people go there, there's also, there are actually practices on the website. There's about a dozen of them. There's a new meditation that we put up called the canvas, the awe canvas, which is a really sweet meditation. It's only six minutes long. There's some videos of myself and my co-author, Michael, talking about the material. And that's where we'll announce anything new that's coming. So invite people to go there. And there's also a contact form. So if people have questions or want more information, Michael and I will get back to anybody that writes to us. All
0: right, folks. And I'll drop all that information, including the links to the book in the show notes. You guys can find that there. Jake, I want to thank you so much for taking the time to come on the show and share your passion and your wisdom with us. I think the world could use a whole lot more awe. I'm getting ready to put this fully into practice in my own life. Absolutely love the work you're doing. Keep up the great work.
1: Thank you. It's great to be with you.
0: Okay. That's our show for today, folks. If you've enjoyed this podcast, I want to let you know that we have other free resources over at silveredgefree.com. There you'll find our free guides with our top tips on nutrition, exercise, and healthy lifestyle to assist you in your weight loss and fitness journey. So feel free to head over there and download anything that looks useful to you. I'll put links to everything we talked about in the show notes, and you can find that over at silveredgefitness.com 181. As we wrap up our time together today, you can show your support for this show in two important ways. One is to tell a friend about this podcast and encourage them to give it a listen. The second is for you YouTube folks to click the like and subscribe buttons. And for you podcast folks to consider giving this podcast a five-star review on whatever platform you listen to podcasts on and be sure to subscribe and follow so you don't miss any future episodes. I really appreciate you spending your time with me today. And until next time, stay strong.